Welcome to the Divine Feminine Revolution Podcast, where women are magical and empowered. I'm your host, Dr. Megan Monday, psychologist turned transformational feminine business coach. This podcast is for you if you want to prioritize your own pleasure, face your fears, and manifest your desires. This podcast is sponsored by the Fearless Feminine Academy, where I teach women how to turn their trauma into their superpowers. My goal is to show women that we can heal our world by creating time and financial freedom by doing whatever the fuck we want. Are you ready for the divine feminine revolution? Let's get vulnerable and go deep. I'm so honored that you're here. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Divine Feminine Revolution. Today is obviously an epic day. We're filming on Election Day, and I'm here with my guest, James T. Wood, and he is a recovering pastor. And, you know, a lot of y'all, not everybody, but some people have been giving me trouble about being exclusive with the Divine Feminine Revolution. And so I want to say that the Divine Feminine Revolution is happening to our entire world. And we need men to step forward and embody this beautiful Divine Feminine energy. And so James is actually our very first man to step forward. So let's applaud him. <laughs> I love to see that. I asked my husband, because <laughs> he's in support of the Divine Feminine. He was like, I'm too scared to go out there. So it's a little scary to do a podcast at first. Um, so I just like celebrate you for coming on. Tell us a little bit more. I asked people to do a brag intro, like brag intro us. Tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so you brought up the election as a big deal, and that's actually a big reason why I'm a recovering pastor is the last election mm-hmm. forced me to get really real. Um, you know, I was I was preaching sermons uh, on how we needed to love uh, our neighbors as we love ourselves. And I started to realize that I was absorbing all of these stories of hating myself and that I was absorbing these stories that it was okay to not love other people verbally and vocally and and talking about like bringing feminism, bringing queerness, bringing, you know, acceptance into the church. And then when the last election went final and seriously, I resisted that as hard as I could. I was literally sending emails and Facebook messages to the electors asking them to dissent. I was trying so fucking hard. And then I watched it all just come final. And I was like, I, I have to start speaking up. Like I have to say this out loud. And so the first step was coming to the church leadership and being like, y'all, when I believe Jesus says, love everybody, I mean, everybody. And it was, it was a long breakup, uh, but eventually we couldn't come to like see together. And, and that led me on this long journey, lots of pieces in the middle um, to where I started uh, just leaning into my teaching as a, as a pastor and a preacher to help other people tell their stories. Um, so I was working in Vancouver. There's a rad organization up there called Van Talks that does uh, Vancouver, Washington. I'm from Portland, Oregon. Uh, and they do like TED Talk style events. And so I was coaching for them. One of those events, I got to coach this amazing speaker coach, uh, Rachel O'Rourke. And I think she might be the link between us. That's sort of like how I've gotten into this world of the divine feminine. 
And she said in, in her, you know, stuff you, that she had created stages for, for speaking. And I was like, rad, I'm like leaving this pastor gig and trying to figure out what to do with this skill set. So I was like, hey, Rachel, can I come speak at one of your events? And she was like, no, no. Because <laughs> she runs, uh, she has run the Spark Women's Empowerment uh, uh, conferences. And she totally surprised me with her generosity to come back and say, you can't speak, but would you do your coaching for my, uh, my people? And that is, this is the brag part. I was invited to listen to these amazing stories of women. And realistically, like, they're pretty much stories of getting, um, how do you feel about cusses on Facebook Live? They're fine, go for it. They're fine. Of women getting fucked over by the patriarchy. Yeah. And just, that the more that experience. I... I've heard many yeah. of those being a therapist, yes. <laughs> and... And then I had the the honor of being one of three men in the room. All the men in the the room at this uh, this speaking event, Spark 2019, were helpers. You know, so there's the video guy, the sound guy, and the speaking coach. And I got to witness what it would be like if the patriarchy was paused for a minute. And I was like, what? This is possible? And just the the support and love and creativity and power and the grieving, I think, that was done. And so here's the brag part. I am offering revolutionary uh, storytelling, which I have been utterly convinced is has to start with grieving, mm-hmm. naming the bullshit, naming the what has gone on that has given us this story that some people can be better than other people based on gender, sexuality, ethnicity, whatever. And it's the same fucking story. At the bottom, it's the same story. And so we have to grieve that. And for these amazing women to come up in their power, we had to work and grieve the, the woundings of patriarchy. And once they got to that point, that rock bottom, then they're unleashed this amazing creativity and wonder and gratitude and and that is for me like what I want to embody in my life in my coaching in my storytelling um and really like helping male-bodied people as well to to grieve because our privilege comes at a huge cost it does yeah absolutely and if we can't grieve that we can't use it yeah Exactly. I w- that's just like a big thing that I've noticed. Um, I've gotten the honor to do, I mostly work with women, but you know, my caseload as a psychologist, I've always had a handful of men. A lot of times they were gay men or queer men or um, just sensitive men a lot of times. And, you know, it's really powerful. One of the most like magical interventions I can ever do with men is to just say like, it's okay to cry, you know, like that is what's like healing and the most powerful thing. And I think we do men such a disservice with the gender roles. They're just as toxic as the gender roles we put to women. And I think women a little bit are luckier in a certain sense that they, they think are, allowed to grieve by society because we're allowed to like cry or be sad whereas men you know we sort of just like requisition them into the anger mode and then that's why we have such problems with like violence and war and and all of those things bullying I mean I think you could see clearly with the president you know I I just really uh see I see so much bullying going on and I think maybe that's what you're reacting to um, with the last election and obviously it's continued onward. You know, one thing that really uh, 
spoke to me was um, you really can't be a revolutionary within the system, right? So like you recognize that when you were a pastor is like the system, like I'm too forward for it. And so I think we do really have to work on the edges um, and be outside of the system to be able to call out the system, right? Exactly. And to me, I, I see it, the system is sort of a pyramid scheme, right? <laughs> and it's the same fucking pyramid scheme from the pharaohs on where it's saying that, because like the pharaohs were literally saying this human can be divine and the rest of y'all are slaves that build build stuff. And we're just rehashing the same old story, switching out who gets to be at the top, but bullying and and privilege sort of serve to reinforce that hierarchy. And so we see the people who have their their privilege threatened get super angry. And you know, men are allowed the emotional spectrum of anger and humor. Mm -hmm. So if you can't be mad, be funny. If you can't be funny, be mad. And it's like we don't have a way to process the like. How do we opt out of the pyramid scheme? Mm -hmm. And I think that at the edges where where oppression meets that essential fuck no that you've got in your heart and this is something that has come up in the story coaching is like when you find your authentic voice is when you are backed into that last corner and you're like nah uh-uh fuck no this is not happening um and for me that was that was affirming of queer and lgbtq yeah. worth funny story i wasn't out to myself when i made that decision um but making that decision uh to to verbally and vocally stand up gave me the space to even do the inner work to be like, oh, I don't just admire that guy. Like, oh, like I am fully bisexual. That's, and so advocating for other people's rights helped me to find my own, which identified in me that that place where I, my privilege and oppression met. And I think that's the intersection mm -hmm. of where where we start to see these revolutions happening and you know I, I i love that you know pride was a started as a riot by a queer person of color marsha p johnson right and and so we find often the most oppressed identities are the ones that are speaking the truest revolution yeah and i think it's because they've been squished out of the pyramid scheme and they're like nah rules are off <laughs> fuck y'all yeah. we're just gonna do this here's some truth you can sit with it like i love my mug uh audrey lord your silence will not protect you mm -hmm. and it comes from this amazing essay that that a friend shared with me but like as a you know lesbian feminist black woman mm -hmm. like she has so much truth to offer us because I think she was squished out of the pyramid scheme way earlier on than people with, you know, the privilege of a white body or a male body or things like that. And so I'm playing catch up and just want to offer so much gratitude to folks like Audre Lorde came to me through Adrienne Marie Brown, who's another, you know, queer black woman who's just doing amazing work in leading. Uh, she wrote Emergent Strategy that was mind-blowing for me and so just so much gratitude to the people who are at those edges who can lead folks like me yeah oh gosh there's so much to say I mean first of all I live in Tennessee so I'm like in the belt buckle <laughs> of the bible belt so it's it's always kind of interesting in here to be um like a non-traditional person in a place that's like very like kind of conservative Christian and 
you know, I have been a big proponent of the LGBTQ community. I'm part of it. Like, I feel like everybody's like, if they're really real, I feel like it's a little bisexual, you know, some people like more than others, but you know, I think um, I really look to the youth who are coming out as like trans, who are coming out as gender fluid. Like, I feel like they are just realizing like how fucked up gender roles are in general. And so I think just like the youth understand like that there's choices and that like we don't have to be put in a fucking box. And so I love that so much. And I feel like that's going to heal so much of, you know, what you and I grew up with of this like more like traditional you know, this is what men do. This is what women do. And like, by the way, make sure you're straight, (laughs) you know, kind of culture. Right. Right. Um, And I do feel like, you know, I wonder how much of some of the biggest bullies on the conservative Christian side aren't, you know, maybe in their own denial about that, you know, and overcompensating. I would not be a bit surprised if that's the case, you know, it's unfortunate, like imagine the misery of not being able to live the life that you want to live, you know, and, and any scale. I mean, that's really easy for me to imagine because yeah. I did it for a long time. I yeah. mean, I didn't come out to myself until I was in my 40s. You know? yeah. And there is, there's so much of just looking back and realizing, oh, I was trying to be myself. Um, another really key piece for me, you mentioned like sensitive men. I started learning about the, um, the genetic trait of being a highly sensitive person. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've come across that. Oh, tell me more. I mean, yeah. that's definitely one of my specialties. So, uh, so Dr. Elaine Aaron um, really pioneered this research and found that within um, at least a hundred different species, there is a, a segment of the population, about twenty percent, that just has a more highly attuned nervous system, more sensitive to stimuli, um, more deeply processing, uh, tend to be more easily overwhelmed, and often more empathetic. Uh, um, and this exists within humans and like antelope and, you know, all over. And they identify it as this pro-evolutionary trait that allows sort of the 80% to, to sort of keep the momentum of the species going. And you think like the herd that goes to the watering hole or whatever, they just kind of go. But if it were all just the sensitive antelope, they'd just be like looking and like, where's that lion? I, I see it. And they'd never go get a drink. But because they can sort of like go along with the main herd, they get there. But if the main herd didn't have the sensitive people at the edges, then they would be lion food and no more herd. And so the whole species has this interdependence woven in. But in especially uh, patriarchal culture, you know, you're talking about the way that it harms men. Highly sensitive men are often the most harmed by it because we don't conform to the masculine norms of stoicism and like... um, we really deeply process things. We, we really deeply feel and we're very easily overwhelmed by sensation and that's not okay. And so we get, you know, told that we're, you know, list any feminine term here that we use to vilify, you know, transgressing the masculine. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I started leaning into this and, and how my brain is beautifully different and unique and not seeing it as a way that I am less than, I don't meet the ideal, you know, I'm broken, I'm flawed, which is what the bullies were putting into me, which was what gender conditioning was putting into me, which is what religious conditioning was putting into me. But now I'm opening up to this freedom of like, okay, I need my naps. I need my like, like everything ordered. And I, like, I set up my, my altar for today's call and it's like all my things. 
Um, one of my, I do like a finger roll with coins to kind of help with my fidget. Cool. And once I put all of that in place, then my brain gets to do that like highly sensitive thing to bring connections that the herd really, really needs. So, you know, I'm a poet, I'm a writer, I'm a, I'm a, a story coach. I can sit and deeply empathize mm -hmm. with a story and hear it and hold it and then offer it back in a way that, that helps people to make more sense of their, their selves. I can't do that though, when I'm just being pounded into the ground by patriarchy and being told that I can't cry, that I can't, you know, have this full breadth of emotion. And so I feel so much more myself, even with that, like that piece of accepting. Sorry, I get excited about all that. No, I feel no, like no, they went off for a while. It's so powerful. You know, I think the piece that there's so many pieces in there, but I mean, obviously self-acceptance and vulnerability is so huge. And that's like the magic that like, once you can really embrace yourself for who you are, you know, that is when life gets really magical. The other piece, I think just politically that came up for me was just that I think one of the most destructive things that the patriarchy has done is it's just really vilified femininity, like femininity and women in the sense of like, oh, she's too emotional. Like she can't be a leader. Don't trust your feelings, you know, don't trust your intuition. And then obviously we get that across the board, including men, you know, and I think for men, the fear of femininity is, you know, extremely uh, vilified, like you said, you know, a target of bullying. Um, I'm definitely such an empath and a lot of the people that I work with are empaths. And so a lot of times we're at like more increased risk for mental health issues. And also just um, a lot of times we have different marginalized identities, which makes us more of a target. And so um, I've done some medical intuition training with Dr. Mona Lisa Schultz, and she talks about how actually um, trauma rewires your brain to be more empathic and sensitive. So like you're already like that and then like life kind of kicks the shit out of you a little bit and then you get like your empath superpower <laughs> and then you end up like us wanting to like heal and save the world. <laughs> Sorry you just blew my mind for a second. I thought you were gonna go towards one way and but that makes sense because we would want to be more sensitive to avoiding the trauma because we exist to help our species avoid trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's one of my big things is just like turning your trauma into your superpower. And it always amazes to me where life sometimes, you know, when people like overcome abuse or like really like trauma where you're like, wow, how can someone survive something so horrible happening to you consistently as a child? Those people a lot of times are some of the most caring and giving people, you know, and they don't go the narcissistic path of just like repeating the pattern. They go to the part of just saying like, I know what that feels like. So I would never do that. Yeah, and I think I think for me that's where grieving really comes in. I want to give a shout out to the goddess uh, Brigia, or uh, in Christian tradition, it's Saint Brigid. Like her, her spirit really, really reached out to me in a powerful way as I've been trying to heal my own feminine. Um, you know, women who run with wolves, Doctor uh, Clarissa Piccinella Estes. Yeah, her that was such a huge beginning point for me, um, and opened up for me um, this this spirit of of Bridget, who uh, is the patron saint of poets and blacksmiths, which is like my jam, like bringing those things together, which I see as this like gender non-conforming like spirit of like, no, I'm gonna do both. Yeah. You, you don't get to limit me. <laughs> um, and she's also the, the mythological origin and sort of the patron saint of the Irish practice of keening, mm -hmm. um, which is this ritualized like lament wail. 
and for me, it, it lined up with my story coaching and all of these things because the story structure is um, is that we find our protagonist and our antagonist and we bring them together and their synthesis creates forward motion. And it's in the dark night of the soul. It's in the cave. It's in, it's in this death. It's in going into the underworld, as Dr. Estes talks about, um, where we find this rebirth into life. And I was like, oh, it's all right there. And these things that were hidden to me in biblical text, in, in all of these stories, um, started to like unfold in feminine wisdom, right? And I was like, oh, if I'm just looking at it through the lens of the patriarchy, it doesn't make any sense at all that like the woman in the garden takes the knowledge of both and, mm -hmm. right? We're not told that that's the sin. We're just told that sin happens. And what happens next is blame in the story. And like, if we look at this lens through the myth of like, how do we be better people and more in balance? We see this like beginning locus of the, the pursuit of this knowledge of both and this, that we have to take the good and the bad together and synthesize something new, which is what nature does which is what the web of life does, which is, you know, and that this keening whale of the goddess is this, this alchemy point of, of combining and refining. And it's, you know, the forge uh, that allows two different types of steel to be folded together to create something that is stronger. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I just, those, so much gratitude to those on the edges who have been forced to grieve because I think that grief is the the alchemical power um, that we really, really need to transform this fucked up world. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, are we in the underworld now? And sometimes we're, <laughs> right? we're at the dark night of the soul, but I think sometimes those are the moments that like we need to like wake up and some of us are awakening, have been, you know, on this journey for a while. And then there's lots of us who still need to kind of answer the call. So I, I'm a big fan of Bridget myself. She comes to me a lot. Um, and I, you know, my, my husband's really into blacksmithing. And so um, my daughter, he's going to teach me and my daughter how to weld. Um, it's really nice to see. And just for everybody listening, I just want to say, Everybody has, just to clear this up, everybody has a uh, feminine and masculine. Um, and it's really just tapping into the action of like active and more passive or receptive. And so I think that's a misnomer that people kind of get caught up in that um, you can be a woman and have lots of masculine energy and vice versa. That's all to say that I, I think that um, really what our society needs is to balance both of those things. So where we have time to be still and receptive and listen to our emotions and our intuition. And like you're saying, do the grief work. And then, you know, the active mission-based, like strong, bring it out into the world purpose, kind of masculine energy. Exactly. And uh, I just want to maybe pitch, uh, I have a podcast in development um, yeah. with, a, with a partner of mine and we're working on a novel and these things, but we've recorded a couple of like test episodes of a podcast that we're calling Switch because she is also a recovering fundamentalist um, uh -huh. and also brings this really amazing balance of masculine and feminine energy, but from a female body. And uh, we keep finding in our, just our relationship and our conversations, these switch points where like, 
her experience of of having this this voice that she wanted to share was so squashed in fundamentalism and then it just switches flip for me where like my i was almost pushed onto the stage like my first sermon was at 11 years old because they just were like you think deep thoughts go talk and just having a male body gave me like so much privilege and we keep examining how then like my feminine traits were very punished um and her feminine traits that she was like nah that's fine but i want to go and like you know ride horses and hike in the wilderness and you know do these things and you know sword fight wasn't allowed until you know she found things like ren fair and was like could put it somewhere that was acceptable I'm just really present to to that truth that, uh, and her name is uh, Tiffany Brown, and we hope to have the Switch podcast coming out again, November, December, but all things are in COVID time right now. But she is helping me to heal even my, my masculine by seeing it uh, like her masculine energy coming out in her female body. And the ways that she leads me in that are really just powerful. Like, I was super in my head trying to get an episode recorded and she was like, let's just sit down and do it. Let's just be in flow. And she kind of, well, I mean, she put that more active energy out and called me to be in the receptive place. And it was beautiful and powerful and allowed us to be in the flow when my like trying to be in the active energy was actually hindering us. So yeah, you know, that reminds me of, um, I used to work at a holistic treatment center and we did this thing called DBT therapy. It's called dialectics. Dialectics are really powerful because it basically is the both and. And so for this holistic treatment center, um, it just the philosophy of both and was life-saving for these people. So they could be both strong and gentle, or they could be both courageous. But anyway, that's all to say that I think holding that like both and holding the feminine and masculine, holding this like integration and balance, like I really do think that that's our future. And so I wanted to ask you, like, as you started to like switch, did you have like a life that you had to kind of burn down to like go into this new form? And what was that like? Oh, uh, painful. It continues to be painful. I mean, um, a big part of, I think, why Bridget has come to me and been so powerful is that that grieving um and and realizing that compassion is uh is a is a two-way proposition what started when i was i was preaching a sermon i was like love your neighbor as you love yourself wait i hate myself mm. became this like giving myself permission to love myself enough to see the relationships and the the organizations that sort of benefited off of my self-hatred mm -hmm. um, and that's so much in the patriarchy it's so much in in capitalism and white supremacy all those same stories of supremacy uh really need us to buy into that story that i'm a piece of shit um in some way or another because if not then how do i hustle how do like what am i what am i trying to earn to climb climb the ladder mm -hmm. um and it was really surprising to me both who was steadfast with me and was like, yep, I see you. Be exactly who you are and like move through this and and who lashed out because it seemed like they felt threatened by me not playing that role anymore. And just over Samhain, 
I was doing some ritual of release and it's a really beautiful time of, you know, the trees are just teaching us release right now and what to let go of. And so I just had this, this ceremony where I was um, going through old pictures and things like that uh, and just releasing and releasing and releasing trying to move to that place of compassion, right? That place of, uh, and I love uh, Prentice Hemphill talks about uh, boundaries. He says that uh, boundaries are the distance at which I can love you and me at the same time. Oh, that's a good one. I, like I that. know, right? And that has helped me to see like, okay, if I get to love me in this part of the equation and you aren't accepting the space where I ask to not be harmed, mm-hmm. then the distance at which I can love you and me at the same time is we're not in contact anymore Mm -hmm. um and there's a lot of people in my life that i'm not in contact with anymore not because i hate them but because i love me Mm -hmm. uh and my friend star shepherd decker uh who is just an amazing human and coach and whatnot but helped me to to just phrase it like i love myself enough to not put me through that yeah and so there's there's a lot of like old Christian friends and like professors and people in those systems that um, I love them uh, and I love myself enough to not put me through the repetition of the stories of abuse and uh, uh, being inadequate in order to continue to prop up the status quo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something that's definitely very like tender to my heart because I've through the past, you know, 10, 15 years of being a therapist, like I've had so many, um, heard so many coming out stories, like witness people as they come out to their parents. And again, like I've lived in Florida, North Carolina and and Tennessee. So like exclusively the South and counseling in those areas, you know, Christianity can be such a destructive force, um, particularly for kids who are coming out. And I think, you know, I feel for the parents because they're caught between this belief system that they've had their whole lives and like loving and accepting their kid. And so it's, it's, I always am so um, impressed with the parents that decide that like their truth is the right truth, you know, and that they're going to love their kid because their kid deserved to be loved, you know, despite what their, you know, church or minister or whoever might be saying. I would love to just highlight a really rad organization um, yeah. called Centerpiece in Dallas, Texas. Um, and they, they're trying to live at that liminal space uh, of not asking that uh, religious folks change their beliefs, but saying, holding them to the belief to love. Yes. And, um, really like helping uh, children who are coming up to their parents to understand how to do that, helping parents how to be in those conversations. And um, in my sort of walking out of being a pastor, that was one of the places where I was like, oh, I could like, I could be with these people. They're, they're doing the, that work of grieving. And ultimately it wasn't a path for me, but it is a path that um, I think is really valuable. Especially, I think, in the both and sense, um, my recovery as a pastor has been, in a lot of ways, back into the, the wisdom of, of the Christian scriptures mm-hmm. um, and the beauty of Jesus and this idea of, you know, the Hebrew name for God is, is Yahweh. I am that I am. I will be as I will be. And when Jesus says, you know, it was, of course, translated in 
fucked up by the patriarchy, but you know, it's Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Mm -hmm. um, but this word perfect is complete. It's teleos in, in the Greek. And so if we, if we read it in the actual tradition there, it's be complete as the I am is complete. Be your own I am. And that is how you, that is how you should be. And that like, that Christ wisdom, which just means anointed, that's all Christ means. And so the Messiah, Christ of Yahweh is the one who is anointed as I am that I am. The one who is anointed into being their most authentic selves. Ooh. And sacred, holy just means unique, not a copy. And so if you are holy, you are the only you that can ever be you. And I'm like, this was there the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> but they used it to tell me that I- A little bit. Right? <laughs> they used it to tell me that girls had to wear dresses and boys weren't allowed to. Uh -huh. Like, wait, what? How did we get there from- you know, it's funny. It makes me think I had a conservative partner at one point, which is hard to imagine for me, but I did. And I remember them saying like, um, if you're truly open-minded, you have to be open-minded about everything, which was kind of interesting to hear from a conservative person, but he was totally calling me on my liberal bias of like being judgmental of the other side. And so, I mean, I think sometimes there's some righteous rage or grief that comes from that. Um, but I think, especially in a time like today, whatever happens, whichever way it goes, like, you know, I think it's just about like really coming together. And I think anything that, like you said, self-expression is holy, which makes me think about like visibility. And <laughs> this is a little bit tangential, but I took like a career test um, when I was getting into my PhD program and it said minister was actually my top career, which now I feel like as a coach, it makes a lot of sense. And so I think we're ministering to the people about like, hey, you've got choices and it is like divine to be who you are. And it's beautiful to do the grief work and to grieve and to be emotional and to weep. And that's what makes you sacred. Well, and I hear so many like male bodied and white bodied uh, people defaulting to this. Well, what am I supposed to do now? If you're talking about like Luna the moon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But like cancel culture is is used as this this whip to try to enforce um, sort of compliance with what I think are some often good ideas. But it's enforced in this way that doesn't invite growth and change and transformation. And and so what I I get really passionate about is how do we not leave people behind? Mm -hmm. um, and how do we leave the people behind that won't come? Yeah. Right. And so that's sort of the, the shepherd or the pastor thing, again, that I'm trying to reclaim is like, I can't make anybody say or do or be anything other than what they are. You're talking about the conservative friend who was like, well, you got to have an open mind. That's actually what began leading me out of Christianity <laughs> is I was like, Jesus said, I have to treat other people the way that I want to be treated. And in my Bible college, they're telling me to interrupt people on the train and try to convince them to change everything that they've ever believed. So if I don't do that, I'm not following what Jesus said. If I am not willing to change everything I ever believed. And in doing that, I was like getting into debates with atheists and exploring all the like different things. And 
and it was actually that being open that eroded in me this space. And, and I think holding that space for other, you know, male-bodied and, and white-bodied people who are just trying to figure out how to be in a culture that is advocating that Black lives matter and advocating that women should have full autonomy over their bodies. And like, there's this tendency to throw people away and to assume they can't be uh, redeemed. I also want, you were talking about the anger. Mm -hmm. I want to honor that anger place and that place where you're just like, I can't even, I'm just, I can't. Because anger is a beautiful part of the grieving process. And so I'm not saying that everybody has to be in this place of sort of offering compassion to the oppressor. Mm -hmm. um, that in your own grieving, in your own healing, like you have to take care of you and what is feels safe and right and good for you. But I feel like that, again, that intersection of my privilege and oppression is the liminal space where I get to offer compassion to people who maybe share my privileged identities in a way that can help them to also understand um, the grieving that they need to do. And I can offer comfort, protection, and support to those who share my oppressed identities um, and advocate for them in a way that sort of translates into those privileged voices. And so this is where I sit because I'm the only me that can be me. And other people are sitting in a place where they just can't deal with church or the Bible or that bullshit and they need trigger warnings before a hymn comes on. And that's okay too. That's a part of the grieving process. Yeah. Well, I think it's just like that power over. And I mean, that's kind of the mechanism of the patriarchy or like narcissism. And so like, if you're you know, like, I don't think, I mean, Jesus might have flipped some tables, but he's not going to do power over, right? Like, he's going to take a stand for what he believes, but ultimately, we all have free choice. And I think that that's maybe the piece that sometimes, you know, church and religion, when it's more control-based, is missing. It's just, like, allow people to be fully expressed and be who they are and, and not lead with shame and control, but lead with, like, love and, love and light, you know, to be one of those new agers. Um, I do want to ask you a couple questions around... Well, one thing just to say, um, you know, I, I really appreciate how you're talking about like your majority and minority sort of identities, because I think there's such a huge uh, possibility for impact. Like, for example, I wrote my dissertation on rape prevention and there was a man in the field, but he did a documentary film called Tough Guys and he explored male gender role, Jackson Cats, that's who it is. Um, he explored male gender role and he talked a lot about how like we're socialized this way and, and you know, we forget that like, yes, men are the perpetrators of violence, but they're also a lot of times the victims of violence. And so it was so powerful. He had been like a pro football player and he was like very like... <laughs> you know, dude, white man, you know, and he did this whole thing about, um, you know, violence and male gender role and speaking out about like rape prevention. And so it's one of those things that I think the more men we can kind of get to say like, hey, like this isn't okay with me and I can still be a man and support women or support, you know, equality. Um, I, <laughs> I was creeping on your profile a little bit before we got started and I saw there was a couple of different posts about like reproductive rights and so I'm just kind of wondering like as a visible man as a coach as a revolutionary storyteller you know like where do you think the opportunity is for men to like rise up in some of these roles mm, that's a good question um 
my first thought went to Liz Plank's book, uh, For the Love of Men. Um, and so she's like an investigative journalist um, and pretty like staunch feminist. And she applies a lot of the principles of feminism to the way that men are uh, conditioned into gendered roles and the harm that masculinity does to men. Yeah. And sort of writing this book that is all about dismantling the patriarchy from the perspective of guys it's going to be really good for you like it's going to be way better if we just do this work and so that led me to finding a uh, a men's group in my uh in my neighborhood in uh in my community and since covid now it's in everybody's community and i'll just plug it's the embrace community embrace-community i think.org where it's other guys like me uh, doing the work, trying to understand how we've been conditioned and to release what no longer serves us uh, and to choose our values. And you know, I, I love their, I think there might still be time. There's a, a cohort going on for just trans men um, to be able to be in that space. But it is so terrifying to cry in front of men for the first time. Mm. Um, it triggered all of the fight or flight response in my body. Um, I was ready to just bolt. And what I love about this embrace community and, and other sort of similar, like feminist men's groups, if that makes sense, um, yeah. is that it's, we, we started talking about it. It's our discomfort gym. Cause it's really fucking hard to do this work. Like it is not easy to dismantle the patriarchy within myself yeah, and to, to feel those feelings. Cause ultimately what it is, is unlocking all of the feelings that I have been suppressing. Mm -hmm. And so there's some big stuff that got squished down in there and a lot that needs to come out and being with other men who can hold that space for me uh, in a way that is non-judgmental, supportive, and they don't need to do anything other than just hear me. They're not teaching me necessarily, but they are just holding that non-judgmental, compassionate space for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the other piece is uh, really, really listening to the stories of women and non-binary folks who have been harmed. And in that same vein, non-judgmental, compassionate witness. Yeah. You don't have to defend anything. You don't have to be right. You don't have to be wrong. You just need to hear. I mean, I started doing that work uh, with my ex-wife and be kept doing that work with the speaking coaching. And it just, I lucked fell into the goddess guided me. Well, you know, we'll leave that open to interpretation, but just time after time of being called to be that compassionate witness and then watching the transformative impact on myself. Mm -hmm. um, and seeing how holding space and just not judging these stories, uh, but listening and trying to draw out the truth and the depth of them gave me the space within myself to love myself and to let my story start to come out. So I would say if you can find a group, you know, de definitely hit up the Embrace community if you're into Zoom um, or find a feminist men's group uh, in your area just a group of, that will compassionately witness you and cultivate the discipline of being a compassionate witness to uh, people who don't have the body of your privilege. 
Yeah. I love that so much. Like having been in therapy groups forever, you know, it, it's just the power to heal is all about connection, you know? And so when we try to do the power over and control, like you're separating. And so that's just like never going to work. And so it's so amazing when you can be witnessed in who you are and what feels like messy or shameful or whatever. And then people just love you. Like it is the most curative thing (laughs) that can possibly happen. So I'm curious if you could just like wave a magic wand and like change some things, what would you like to see happen in our world? I would like to see our communication freed of the, the slant towards power over. And um, it, it, I, I love that you using that, that terminology and it resonates with me a lot. I, I, I have been calling it supremacy and stories of supremacy, yeah, okay. but as I've been digging more into, I mean, if you've seen the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. Oh yeah, I just watched it, yeah. it nightmares. <laughs> uh-huh. And, and I see like that baked into so much of how we communicate because we use it to generate profit and we like, and it's generating profit for these companies that are so rooted in capitalism. Um, and, and capitalism is just another story of power over. Um, it's another story of supremacy. And, and so if I could wave a magic wand and just release our communication Mm. from power over stories, from companies, from governments, from organizations that are trying to force us into this hierarchy so that artists could just be artists. Well, you know, I think it's really powerful and it does start with our communication, like our narrative, you know, words are like spells, right? And so, I mean, I think especially with your background, like, you know, the power of the story and the power of words. And so I think just choosing wisely is super important. And I think you're a living embodiment of this revolutionary power of stories. And I think you're like a minister in the truest sense of the word. And so validation to you, like, tell us, where do we find you? How do we work with you? Like, tell us all the things. All the things. Um, I am still in that sort of pivot, like, place right now, but I've got a couple of places you can find me. Um, I have a, like, Patreon that is gathering, like, uh, mothballs and dust right now that I'm wanting to bring back up. And so that's patreon.com slash James T. Wood. And uh, my website for revolutionary uh, storytelling coaching is jamestwood.com. And I really want to work with people who have that story that is coming up that they just, they need to tell because the world needs to hear it. Um, And those are my people and helping unlock those stories, whether it's written or spoken, um, has been the joy of my life. And also hit me up for projects or whatever is working uh, for you. I love to be of assistance. Uh, My next big thing is I'm working to release and get all this stuff put together, uh, but I'm going to uh, go on a lament walk sort of for my ancestral healing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have ancestors who fought in wars of native genocide to take land in the Oregon territory. And I want to start there and walk and embody in in my flesh this lamentation of what it cost for me to be here and to end in Maryland. So maybe I can stop by and say hi, Uh, but to end in Maryland where I have uh, other ancestors that enslaved people for the profit of their labor and to just physically name in my body the cost 
of my privilege. Um, and so I hope to start that around like Beltane that feels really auspicious yeah. and right. And so like the Patreon I think is gonna be around that sort of recovering pastor lament identity and trying to cultivate like the resources I need to, um, to do this. You know, I, I think that's incredibly beautiful. And I think that's something I've noticed in my own like decolonization work. It's so hard to sit with like the harm that you've benefited from um, through the generations or through systemically. And so I think to be able to honor that, like as healers, we really can shift the energies of the planet by just doing that ritual and like, you know, healing, walking with healing intent. And so that's super powerful. And I just really want to say it's so important for, um, you know, our male body leaders to be visible doing this kind of work. It's like, it's so amazing. Um, one quick riff um, for my dissertation, which was on rape prevention, it was actually a, a video to increase empathy in men about rape. And so in the video, like a man was raped, it was like a police officer was raped by a criminal. And it wasn't like, oh, well, your sister, your mom, or like, you know, it wasn't anything with having to do with women. And so I just think it's so important to have men be visible in these roles. And so I just have this vision, kind of like what you were talking about with the therapy, like group for men, like the more men can gather and talk about these things and have like enlightened men to lead this, like, I really do feel like that's bringing that divine feminine energy into the male community. And so I just, I think it is the power of story. That's something that's transformed us since the beginning of time. And so I'm excited to see like what your work turns into. And, and I, I hope that, you know, there'll be lots and lots of men um, who are drawn to this kind of work and realize like the gifts that it holds for them to be able to have the full range of emotions, to be able to, uh, you know, be fully expressed and, you know, it's so much like pleasure and happiness and joy and fulfillment comes from that. And I think a lot of men are missing that. Right, exactly. Yeah, beautiful. Well, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Divine Feminine Revolution podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Want to keep the conversation flowing? Find us on Facebook at the Divine Feminine Revolution Facebook group where revolutionary women gather to listen to their hearts, monetize their gifts, and change the world.